Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 30th, 2022, including From Software has a lot of games in the pipeline, Halo Master Chief Collection might be getting microtransactions, Matt Booty speaks up on crunch culture in the games industry, and more. On this day in Xbox history, Doki Doki Literature Club Plus was released for the Xbox Series X worldwide in the year 2021. Guys, welcome to episode 161 of the Xbox On Podcast. Boy, am I glad to see you guys. Although, of course, it's figuratively speaking because this is an audio-only podcast. It feels like it has been a really long time since we last did this show because, I don't know, I was out of, I was out of town over the weekend, like an extended weekend, and it always just kind of throws you off, you know? Like the rest of, when you return back to life... Your whole world's kind of thrown off. I was in it was in Georgia. I was being surrounded by all kinds of crazy shit, like not having alligators and drug addicts, and I don't I don't I don't know what happens in Florida that's not happening in Georgia. I don't know. It was a whole crazy thing, but it threw me off. And I come back home, and it's just so good to see my cat and see my bed, and you know what I mean. What well, guys, welcome back. For you, it's just been another week, but for me, it feels like it's been eons. And I just want to let you know, you all look beautiful today, except for you. And you know who I'm talking about. Now, guys, we got a not super big news week. This is one of those post-E3 time period kind of lulls. However, I, we do have a couple things to talk about today that I am pretty excited to get into. Also, we got some good juicy comments. And, and generally speaking, guys, like I said, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to see you. So, fuck you. We'll make the most of this X hour and a half. And uh, hopefully, you know, hour and a half. So, we don't want to make it another three-hour episode. But, guys... First, tell me, what have you been eating? Wait, no, no, no. That's not how the podcast goes anymore. We, we've we changed the format. Guys, happy 4th of July. There's someone who's listening to Xbox on for the first time right now, and he's heard me say, wait, guys, guys, guys. He's like, okay, this is a Coke Fiend next podcast. But no, I, I promise that's not the case. I want to say real quick, before we jump into the actual show, for those in the U.S., which is probably the majority of the listenership because I have the podcast uh, analytics and it shows that the majority of you guys are American listeners, just want to say happy 4th of July. Um, no particular statement about the significance of the holiday other than to say, hey, if you are someone who works a job or goes to school, which between the two of those things should cover just about everyone listening to the show, um, hope you enjoy an extra day off. Fuck yeah, man. Eat some eat some pizza or do whatever the fuck you want. Play some Xbox. Enjoy a nice day off. I'm sure you deserve it. Uh, okay, with that out of the way, guys. Let's let's jump into our stories of mild amusement this week. Let's talk about the stories that are not going to be the bulk of the show, but we just got to keep up with, you know, these corrections, these small stories, these updates on previous stories. Generally, they're not that interesting, but I have good news. I bring good news because this week we don't have to talk about Activision. Yep, we've been having more and more of these lately, guys. Pretty soon, I foresee a day where no one even has has to mention Activision. We might be able to do an entire Xbox podcast without even saying Bobby Kotick. Oh, YouTube just demonetized this video for saying that. Okay, anyway, first one. First thing I want to get into, guys, this is a 
weird anomaly that is it has been happening more and more regularly and, and and probably won't happen for too much longer but we gotta we gotta pay attention to it while it does happen because it is just that weird to see especially with the country we're about to be mentioning so xbox has once again outsold the playstation in japan just let that sink in a country where xbox has at times sold just a couple thousand units compared to playstation the, the, this past week xbox outsold playstation in the entire country so according to sales data published by famitsu the xbox series x sold 3200 units while series s sold 3400 units meanwhile that's or that's more than double the number of playstation 5 sold which was only 2300 standard consoles and 664 digital consoles now of course we have to keep in mind that this is not indicative of xbox being more popular than playstation this is indicative of the severe, severe supply constraints right now that PlayStation is facing. Everyone's facing, but obviously PlayStation is facing as well. And um, I think there's a really smart thing at play here that I I just haven't mentioned yet, and that's why I kind of wanted to read this story. Even though we've seen this story kind of pop up, oh, it's doing pretty well here in the UK, it's doing well here in Japan, this week it sold more on PlayStation. We've seen this story pop up a couple times now, but I want to say the thing that's really notable about this is obviously we all know the reason this is happening is just because there have been more Xboxes on store shelves than Playstations, so people are going to buy the thing that they can buy, not the thing that's not available for purchase. Duh. But here's a really smart move, because we don't we don't really know the inner workings of who's getting more consoles out on store shelves. You would assume that the Xbox Series S is probably a little easier to get produced, uh, considering supply constraints right now, compared to like a Playstation 5 or an Xbox Series X. Um, but we, we really don't know the ins and outs of who's able to produce more, who what what kind of issues one company is facing versus another. But I will say this. Xbox and, and, and Sony and Microsoft are at kind of an impasse. They're kind of at like a, a, an opposite situation for one another where if you are Sony, right now it is critical for you to try and get the PlayStation available as much as possible in every territory where you where you face fierce competition with Xbox. So I think for PlayStation that means countries like well like the countries that most of the listeners of this podcast are from. So I'm talking about of course the United States, UK, Australia, Mexico, Canada. These are the these are the countries and the regions and the territories where Xbox is strongest. So if you're Sony, you want to think about like, listen, our market, our domestic market here in Japan is very loyal to PlayStation. We can make those guys suffer for a little while longer and focus our allocation as much as possible on these regions where if people can't get a PlayStation, they're more prone to buy an Xbox. So you can, it stands to reason that that is likely a tack, a play that Sony is making right now because they can't afford not to. However, this also kind of works to Xbox's benefit because Xbox has desperately been trying to gain some some foothold in Japan for so, so long. Xbox's performance in that country has been laughable. And we know the Xbox Series X and S kind of came out the gate not doing incredibly well in Japan, but relative to the Xbox and Xbox 360 and Xbox One, doing relatively well. So... For Xbox, if you're trying to get the Japanese market to pay attention to Game Pass, get the Japanese market to pay attention to Xbox in general, the best thing they can do is say, well, let's try to push consoles, push allocation to the Japanese market so that we can satiate the demand for new hardware in a market where people just cannot get their hands on a PlayStation 5. 
because in the American market, obviously it's a fierce competition and you want to have Xboxes on shelves. So your Americans and your Canadians and your Australians are buying Xboxes over PlayStations. Of course you want that. But remember, your Xbox, you're a little more versatile. You can afford, you know, you could afford to maybe uh, not always be number one. And more importantly, we know Xbox's primary focus right now is Game Pass subscriptions. So there are many plays Xbox has at its disposal that they can maybe take this risk and try to lean into Japan a little more and kind of brute force their way into earning more of the market share. This could obviously be a vast over uh, over analysis of what actually is happening at hand here, but. I can't help but notice how interesting it is that PlayStation, by comparison of Xbox, is impe- is impenetrable in the Japanese market. But right now, there seems to be no PlayStations available in Japan, and there seems to be a fair amount of Xboxes available. It would stand to reason that PlayStation should be, should be fighting Xbox tooth and nail in more Western markets, and, they, and that is where we're seeing the bulk of PlayStation's head, PlayStation 5's, that is. And it would do... Xbox well to try and capitalize on that Japanese market while Sony is wounded and kneecapped right now. So I I don't know. I think this is kind of a perfect storm. Now, I don't think this particular um, incident or, or these couple of weeks or months here where Xbox is doing better than PlayStation for a little bit here in the UK and a little bit here in Japan, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of the permanent course of the future. However, I th- again, I think this is a great opportunity for Xbox to grow their brand significantly in the Japanese market. And um, especially with the Series S, it's affordable, it's small, which means it fits great in all those Japanese houses that are like 100 square feet. It's it's really ideal for that market with the affordability, the, the, the size, and the availability. So I don't know. I just think this is a really interesting advantage for Xbox, uh, maybe unforeseen advantage. And if things continue to go the way they're going, which we know they are, and Xbox continues to maybe focus on trying to penetrate that Japanese market, I I think we could potentially see a future where, no, I'm not saying Xbox is going to be more popular than PlayStation Japan, not not even a little bit, but maybe a future where Xbox is a much more viable and more generally more uh, seriously considered um, alternative or platform in in the Japanese uh, market. So pretty interesting stuff when you think of it that way. Did want to just note that, Good for you, Xbox. I know you guys, especially Phil Spencer, I want to give a shout out to Phil because under his reign, there has been a big effort at Xbox to just try and try to hit that Japanese market somewhat. You could tell they really want to. Need Final Fantasy VII Remake, though. Anyway, let's move on. Next up, uh, GamesIndustry.biz is reporting that Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont is actually taking a 30% pay cut for the financial year of 2022. The decision was included in Ubisoft's 2022 Universal Registration Document, an optional financial document that companies in the European Union can provide every year to inform investors in addition uh, to their financial results. It said that the payment was waived by decision of the chairman and CEO. So Yomont made this decision, decision himself. Talking to Axios, a Ubisoft representative confirmed this is a personal decision by Yves Gilmont, uh, which he is considering that the company had not reached the financial targets that it had publicly communicated to the markets. So I, I really respect when CEOs do this shit a lot. But I think the great example of it in gaming was back during the Wii U era, uh, when actually this was shortly before uh, Satoru Iwata passed away, where he he was like, hey, I'm taking a, I think it was like a 50% pay cut or something like that because he's like, hey, my company is not doing, Nintendo's not performing very well. The Wii U is bombing. Um, this is, a, I, I, as the person in charge of the ship, 
I am directly in, involved and in, in responsible for making sure that this this platform, this brand stays successful. So I, I always have a lot of respect for that move. I know a lot of times it's kind of a publicity stunt. It's like, you know, a guy like Yves Gaumont, it's like if he takes 30% less pay, you know, in 2022 versus 2021, like what's that really going to do to a guy like that financially? You're like, okay, whatever. It's, it's really more of a performative move than anything. But I, I actually do really respect the symbolism of it a whole lot. I, I don't know. I, I guess because the alternative is so much worse or or the inverse is so much worse, like during the pandemic when companies were just hemorrhaging employees and just laying and furloughing people off left and right, and then the U.S. government was just stealing millions and millions and millions of dollars from American citizens and taxes so they could keep all these corporations and businesses afloat. Um, and then these businesses still laid off people and still furloughed people and still never brought people back and still gave their executives bonuses and shit like that. So I don't know. It's just one of those things where I'm like, uh, when it is self-inflicted like this, I uh, I admire the responsibility. So that's cool. Also, I I don't know what's going. This is an, another another canary in the coal mine, if you will, with what's going on at Ubisoft. We just keep seeing their games aren't performing as well. They keep announcing new projects that audiences are not responding well to. Um, just all the shit with the NFTs that they dealt with earlier this year, or that they put themselves in, I should say, because fuck NFTs and Ubisoft don't 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 try. Yeah, I mean, there's some, something's going on with these guys, and I feel like I feel like Ubisoft is one really rock solid game showcase away from really turning it around. And I think this no, I think this fall we might be pleasantly surprised. What with them trying to plan a showcase away from all the other big showcases so that they can kind of breathe and have their own spotlight along with the rumors we're hearing about like, Hey, they're going to bring back a new Assassin's Creed. It's going to be kind of like old school Assassin's Creed. Also, you know, we, we know they're working on a Splinter Cell game. Don't know if they'll really have anything to say on that, but who knows? Just Ubisoft seems to be very publicly um, aware of and very communicative of the fact that they're, they're, they're dropping the ball right now. And I, I, I just have some confidence that, that they are they're working on this and that they're they're able to read the room well enough to be like yeah we we know what we need to do to make things better and we're actively working on that so i don't know like i i i don't love ubisoft but i do have confidence that the leadership uh with Yves Gilmont and w- within that company right now is is taking note of what's going on in course correcting but that is entirely a hunch i am curious to see what the fuck these guys do because it's a uh, it's not necessarily fun to see a Ubisoft that's really fallen from grace, especially in a time where all the other big players are actively looking to merge and get bought out and become even bigger. All right, next up, this one maybe maybe should have just been a part of the proper news, but I put it here in the stories of mild amusement because I don't know. But this uh, story went up a couple hours ago. It's actually from Kotaku, but I'm reading it via transcribe of VGC because I don't like to use Kotaku. It's a Whatever, still supporting them. This is their this is their scoop, so they deserve credit where credits due. Anyway, Matt Booty, Xbox Game Studios head, held a Q and A during a company wide meeting last week, during which he addressed the topic of labor conditions at Bethesda and its parent company, Zenimax Media. Booty was asked to discuss previous Kotaku reports, which claimed that there was a heavy degree of crunch during the making of Fallout seventy six, which of course was released years before Xbox even acquired Bethesda. Quote, the challenges with a lot of these articles is that they look backwards, sometimes pretty far back in time, Booty reportedly said during the meeting. Booty reportedly claimed that crunch culture was, quote, just a part of the industry. I don't say that to justify it. I'm just saying that 
It was part of the culture of the industry. I literally slept under my desk early in my career. And we look at that like a ba- and we look at that like a badge of honor. However, he also claimed that in those days, that those days were gone under Xbox, stating, quote, I know from talking to Bethesda leadership that we do not have situations where people are crunching and we've got this bullying atmosphere. I'm confident about that. Booty reportedly added that there was, of course, the possibility that crunch was going on without knowing about it and urged employees to follow Xbox's internal process, including the ability to give anonymous feedback to ensure any issues are resolved. I feel like this is exactly the response you need from an exec like Matt Booty, and it addresses pretty much all angles. I don't mean to be an Xbox fanboy cuckold, like, oh, Matt Booty, our lord and savior, you know, head of head of Xbox Game Studios. Of course, our, our knight in shining white armor has just the just the thing to say, but I feel like this briefly and eloquently encapsulates really all there is to say about the crunch culture. It's that, dude, it's he kind of just, you know, it's it's how the cookie's made, you know? It, it, or is it cake? I don't remember the fucking... What's the... Um, how does the phrase go? But he basically just admits, like, listen, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying this is the way it's always gone. So you see, like, especially these Jason Schreier and Kotaku hit pieces trying to single out studios to make them look like fascists because... Oh man, these people crunch to make it make a game come out on time. This oh man, what a terrible developer, what a terrible publisher. It's like, dude, this is just the way things worked. I mean, you guys, I, I'm sure a lot of you watched that Xbox uh, documentary that came out last fall, celebrating 20 years of Xbox. Where even then, they talk about that in the early days of Xbox, people just living in their offices, working day and night on Halo at Bungie and and working on Xbox at at, at Microsoft, and just how these people live eat and breathe and sleep the these projects they're working on and this is this is a this is a lifestyle that is just not for everyone it is this artist creator kind of lifestyle that is a little bit out there it's a little bit different it's not a nine to five this is not the kind of job you apply for because you got the appropriate college degree and you want to be the guy who punches in and punches out and contributes to the company and gets a 401k and a pension and retires one day and there you did the job this is for like this is different. In, in, a, in a way, I, I don't know. I feel like in, in the world of tech, in the world of these artistic roles, whether you're creating film or music or, or video games, these are kind of like rock star jobs, right? I, I used music as an example, so whatever. You know, it's kind of like these rock star jobs where the way the job works, the way the industry operates is a little unconventional. It's not your typical, like I said, it's not your typical nine to five Joe Schmo job, which I'm not saying there's something right or wrong with that, but I feel like there's just so much cultural context missed on audiences that don't work within these industries when you see these kinds of these kind of stories come out and just lambast specific developers and publishers trying to smear them, trying to paint a narrative where it's like, well, you just don't get it. That's that's the norm. And I guess that's what I've always been saying for as long as we've been talking about this crunch culture issue, quote unquote issue on the podcast. It's just like I'm not saying that people aren't tired. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are staying extra late and not coming home to their families and things like that. I'm not saying these things aren't happening. I'm saying people know full well getting into this industry and getting into these jobs, this comes with the territory. And listen, if there are plenty of industry, uh, um, developers and publishers since these stories have started to come out who are stepping up and like, hey, we are aware of crunch culture and we want to make it a point to tell you that this isn't happening. You know, whatever. 
It's a publicity thing for the most part, right? It's it's no different from hey, I say as we uh, we post a, a podcast on our final day of Pride Month. It's no different from these corporations that are just like, look at us forcing all of our employees to wear rainbow shirts today because we want to let you know this corporation is super in favor of Pride Month or whatever. It's like it's a little like okay, we get it. You want to be on the right side of history. You don't want to look bad. You want to look like you're doing the right thing. You know, good publicity. I get it. But it's like, I don't know, man. I don't really even fully believe when these companies are saying, like, we've eliminated crunch culture. Like, even when Matt Booty says that, I'm just like, eh. I, I mean, I'm sure maybe you have made an additional effort within your studios to be like, guys, we don't encourage crunch culture. We have new training guidelines that tell our staff, like, let us know if you feel like you're being overworked or you are not legally obligated to exceed X amount of hours a week, whatever the case may be. But again, I'm telling you, these artistic jobs, these creative jobs do not work the way conventional jobs work. These freaking, you know, whatever, you know, like, like for me, for example, I've had unfortunately a lifetime worth of retail experience. I can tell you there is no passion in retail. There's no passion in any of that shit. You come, you come in when you're supposed to come in, not a minute earlier, you work the allotted amount of time you're supposed to work, and then the moment you have the ability to get the fuck out of there, you get the fuck out of there. And whether or not there's more work to be done or not is not your problem. That's not how creative jobs work. And so maybe we are seeing, you know, I, I know, for example, um, Insomniac was really big on bragging about, hey, no crunch on this Ratchet and Clank game that we just put out. And whatever, that's great, right? But I'm sure that what that really means is like, hey, we made a big effort to communicate to our teams. You don't have to be here past X amount of hours. We don't encourage that you crunch. But that doesn't mean there aren't people who took it upon themselves to work the extra hours, put in the extra time, and do what needed to be done to get their part of the puzzle done in a fashionable time. You can't tell me that's not happening. But I think what Matt Booty does here is he does kind of properly address everything. He's like, listen, man, we get it. People don't like crunch culture. We're not encouraging it. We have in place that we are not, we, we are actively trying to prevent crunch culture. However, I, and this is, this is why I think his statement just kind of is all encapsulating. Cause he says, he said, of course there's the possibility that crunch was going on without them knowing about it. And they urge ex, they urge employees to follow the internal process, including the ability to give anonymous feedback. Of course, it's like, we don't want to know bad things are happening at our company. We don't want to know people are overworking and things like that. You know, we don't we don't want to know that that's the truth because we we don't want it to be happening. We're encouraging it not to happen, but there's always the possibility. And I just don't think you get something like a triple A, multi million dollar budget game out the door without someone somewhere along the way having you know spent a few sleepless nights trying to get their their piece done. You know, and that, that's all I'm saying. But. I think Matt Booty kind of says all that needs to be said from a, a corporate perspective. He, he he represents the situation pretty fairly and accurately, and uh, it's it's fairly indicative of, I think, what is actually happening, which is trying to nip it in the butt. It might be happening. We don't really know. We encourage you not to do it, but it is what it is. And, uh, and that might be me a little overanalyzing the way in which he said that, me interpreting it a little differently, but... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's case closed, right? Like, we don't have to have the crunch conversation anymore. Our Lord and Savior, Matt Booty, said all that need to be said. And, you know, like, obviously, you think about, they're talking about Bethesda here. Perfect example, Starfield. Starfield just got a huge delay. We were hearing the reports about how employees were begging for a delay. They thought there's no chance in hell they were going to have that game ready by 11-11-22. Sure. I'm sure a huge reason the game was delayed was because 
crunch culture and the game's just not ready and we don't want to be the next cyberpunk. Sure. I, I bet you there are still people working at Bethesda Game Studios who are absolutely going to crunch in the final months to get Starfield out in the most completed form they can possibly get it out in. Mark my words. I don't know if we'll hear a story from Kotaku about it. We might hear a scathing little piece about it, but nonetheless, it's going to happen. Anyway, so there's that. Guys, our last little story I wanted to wrap up with before we jump into proper news is, uh, unfortunately, a sad one, um, but I do want to pay my respects. From from GamesIndustry.biz, they report, Bernie Stolar uh, has died at the age of 75. Stoller was known best for his 10 years at Sony Computer Entertainment of America, in which he was a founding member of the first executive and the first executive VP, uh, um, and as well at Sega of America, where he served as president and chief operating officer or CEO, as they like to call it in my country. During his time at Sony, he helped sign key games for the first PlayStation, including some of the launch lineup. His signings include Rage Racer, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon, Oddworld Inhabitants, obviously some of the most notable PlayStation games of all time. And then he later left to join Sega and was keen to tackle the challenge of revitalizing the business and developing new hardware. He was the main driver behind the end of the Sega Saturn and the release of the Sega Dreamcast, which is honestly, for me, the most nostalgic and relevant time period for Sega because that time period was when I was just old enough to really be getting into video games, but also a little too young to have been in you know, up Sega Genesis ass during its heyday. So I had a lot of exposure to Genesis and even a little bit to Saturn and 32 X and stuff like that as a kid, but mostly through ROMs. My, my, my Sega hardware experience, my biggest Sega hardware experience growing up was actually the Sega Dreamcast. We, we had one, we probably got our Sega Dreamcast in like Oh one, I think. And I don't, I don't know. I, I only want to bring that up just to say like the Dreamcast to me is still one of the all time most special pieces of hardware. I, I don't like the when I think about like the video game hardware that I have acquired in my lifetime that has made me the uttermost like jaw dropped in like just I can't believe how amazing this thing is for my lifetime. I think of N64. I think of Dreamcast. I think of GameCube and I think of Xbox 360. Oh, and probably DS. DS was a big one as well. But those are those are specifically the five oh, maybe Game Boy. I don't know. Nintendo's got everyone buys balls when they're a kid. I don't know. But those pieces of hardware in particular are the ones that stand out to me um, more than any other, more than Series X, which is just more Xbox, but faster, more, way more than, you know, any console that's come out in the past 12, 13 years. That's just been like, Hey, cool. It's prettier graphics now. Fuck off and play games. I I don't know. There's something really special about the Dreamcast. And I, I think a lot of it wasn't just how amazing it actually was and how truly unique and powerful it was at the time. But also just now with the power of hindsight, realizing that that was that was Sega's last hurrah. Obviously, this guy had a really, really uh, important role in gaming and um, was part of what I would consider the best part of Sega, as well as honestly, the, the foundation of what would go ahead to spearhead and kickstart modern gaming or not modern gaming in terms of microtransactions and free to play and battle passes, but modern gaming in terms of the PlayStation brand, which has kind of set the precedent and set the standard for all other gaming hardware at the time. You know, Nintendo famously went off and did their own fucking crazy shit for a long-ass time and are still largely doing that. And then Xbox, you know, largely came in to compete with Sony, not with Nintendo. So, I don't know. I just, uh, 
obviously this guy has a massive, massive role to play in the history of our beloved medium and form of entertainment. And of course, really sad to hear of his passing. 75, yeah, I'd say a little too young, uh, but you know, obviously thoughts are with his family and loved ones during their, their time of mourning. And, uh, you know, th- thank, hey, thank you, Bernie. Thank you for your contributions to our beloved hobby. And also, shout out to the Dreamcast, which is, I often um, unofficially refer to as the kind of Xbox, pre, like the pre-Xbox Xbox, you know, in a way. It's kind of like the Xbox beta, if you will. I don't know, but that's it for all of our stories of mild amusement. No updates, no corrections. Of course, I never get anything fucking wrong unless it's Pentiment. But guys, that with that out of the way, I say we take a step back, chill out, talk about a couple things, what I've been playing before we jump into the news. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing this past week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, for a second week in a row, I'm not here to tell you about what I've actually been eating, but rather what I have not been eating. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was out of town this past week. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, visiting family. It had been a while. I haven't been there in almost a year. So it was good to be back home uh, and see all the old stomping grounds, do all the things, see all the family members, shake shake the babies and in, 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 in hug the ha- hands or whatever it is, and kiss the hands. Guys, something very life-changing happened to me. So I, I got it. Sorry. Sorry, you just got to give me a minute. I know we're here to talk about Xbox, but you are a freaking idiot if you don't want to hear what, what's happening next. So in the great state of Florida, we have Publix. It is a grocery store. If you know Publix, you know Publix. They're great. We do not have a grocery store called Kroger. Why does Kroger matter? Well, in the state of Georgia, we do have a place called Kroger. It's a grocery store. It's like Publix, only different. It's cheaper, it's dimmer, it's dingier, it's sad as shit, but their prices are a lot better and their selection's bigger. So you shop there anyway, okay? We're poor here. We don't have the luxury to pick and choose based on lighting preferences, okay? So the thing is, I thought my life would be just fine when I left Georgia years ago and moved to Florida without Kroger. But what I'm realizing now is I was wrong. I was so, so wrong. And there's one reason in particular, and maybe I'm about to share it with you. It has to do with a CEC, Mr. Charles Entertainment Cheese. You guys see Chuck E. Cheese Pizza has gone and released a line of frozen pizzas. Cheese and pepperoni, keeping it simple as can be, two variants. However, they are sold exclusively at Kroger's grocery stores. So... As a Floridian, I had no knowledge of this. Now, shame on me as I do follow the Chuck E. Cheese subreddit and I am involved in many Facebook groups, so I should have been aware, but I was not. I suppose I've allowed my Chuck E. Cheese fandom to lapse in recent months and this one escaped me, so I'll take the L. Maybe that should have been at the top of the show under the corrections. My bad. However, I was with my girlfriend. We were visiting with her sister and she goes, oh, by the way, I tried Chuck E. Cheese pizza. It's mid. And I'm looking at this little Gen Z thing. And I'm like, I'm going to shank you for saying that. However, what I didn't know is she was referring to Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza. So after moment, uh, minutes and minutes of arguing and yelling at this young child about how she's wrong and dumb for not loving Chuck E. Cheese pizza, she then elaborates that she was referring to the frozen food variety. So literally in that moment, I stop everything. We go to the grocery store and I got to find this frozen Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Guys, it's real. However, there's only one problem. I'm staying in a hotel, I don't have a a, a freezer, and I don't have an oven. I cannot buy the Chuck E. Cheese pizza. So, alternative idea. I'm going to stop by Kroger the morning I leave to go back home to Florida. I'm going to buy 20 of these fucking pizzas, and I'm going to drive straight home to Florida and throw them in my freezer. Guys, it's summer. 
in the South. I can't do it. It's a seven and a half hour drive back home to Florida. These pizzas will simply die in the back of my car. It won't happen. So I accept my losses. I go to the Kroger. I go to the frozen food aisle. I see the Chuck E. Cheese pizza on the shelves in the freezer aisle. They are there. They are tangible. I picked up the box. I literally took a picture of the box with my phone just to prove to myself it happened. Alas, I did not purchase any, and I did not come home with any. So now I'm back here in my Florida apartment surrounded by 50 to 1,000 million public locations in any given direction. Zero access to the Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza. You guys, I'll never know if the pizza was mid or not. But what I do know is I'm losing. I'm losing out on something truly spectacular. You see, as a childless adult, the opportunity, the the mere thought of being able to enjoy a Chuck E. Cheese pizza without having to go to a Chuck E. Cheese and look like a, a bonafide pedophile is just simply life-changing. However, I don't get to be a part of that experience because I live in Florida. This is probably my Joker moment. If you guys, If you guys ever see me on the news as Florida man, just know that this is likely my Joker moment. All right, that's, what, that's it for the what I've been eating, or rather what I've not been eating. Let's move on before things get any more dour, guys. Let's talk about what I've been playing. So again, I was out of town, so really didn't, I, I literally have had like one day since I've gotten home to even be able to think about a video game. And so I, I it sucks because the way this lined up is like, there's actually a lot of games I want to be playing. I'm in the mood to play video games. I just haven't had time. So I, I finished up Far Cry 6 last week, which we talked about, and I'm glad I did because now it's freed me up to play whatever beckons to me. However, that's a lot, because while I was gone last week, Sonic Origins released, which I had pre-ordered, pre-downloaded, ready to go. And also, on Call of Duty Vanguard, they finally released a wave-based, round-based zombies map, and it is a really awesome recreation with new content and additional sections of the map of the beloved Call of Duty World at War zombies map, Shinonuma. So that has me pretty excited. Plus, I've had people yelling at me saying, Jesse, you're a dumb idiot. You need to go play TMNT Shredder's Revenge. And they're right. That game looks great. I really wanted to play it. So I've got all these games. Just, oh, they're all in me. They're all begging for my time, but I have no time to share. So last night, what do I do? Well, they're all relatively easy downloads, right? So I download all three, and I play all three. I spent 30 minutes with each of these. So I have almost nothing to say individually about any of these because I spent so little time with them all that I would be lying if I tried to give you detailed thoughts and opinions. But I will say this, Sonic Origins, this new remastered widescreen mode changes the way you play classic Sonic. It makes them way more approachable for newer newer generations and also just being able to dumb the games down a little bit, make them easier by eliminating game overs. It's just a really approachable way to make old Sonic accessible to younger players. In fact, it kind of makes these games a lot more timeless than they once were. So I'm really looking forward to Origins. There's a lot of controversy over some optimization things with Sonic 3. I haven't seen anything wrong with the game yet. But then again, I'm not on Sonic 3 yet. I'm still working my way through Sonic 1 for the 100,000th time in my life. Don't ask me why I spent 40 bucks on a collection of four Sonic games I already have owned and beaten a thousand times on a thousand platforms. But... I don't regret it, and I'm looking forward to revisiting the original four Sonic the Hedgehog main entry games because I fucking love that franchise. And it is a great little uh, appetizer as we look forward to Sonic Frontiers this fall, which, by the way, we got more footage of this week. It looks phenomenal. Um, so that's Sonic Origins. Literally nothing to say there. If you if you like old Sonic games, you like it. If you've never played a Sonic game, if you got a young kid who's maybe really into the Sonic movies and hasn't ever played an old Sonic game, this is a great way to introduce him to the classics. 
And then TMNT Shredder's Revenge. I got to be really honest with you guys. I do not have a childhood memory or experience association with the original TMNT games, the arcade game or the NES game or any of that. So to me, this is not a nostalgia thing. Obviously, I grew up in a world where the Ninja Turtles were a thing. I was never a really big Ninja Turtles guy. I went through, you know, a little bit of a phase where I saw a couple episodes of one of the versions of the show. I actually quite like the uh, late 90s live action costume TMNT movies. I, I don't know if those are hated or liked or not, but I, I've always kind of had a soft spot for those. It's probably the most exposure I ever had to TMNT. Um, but this game, from what I played in the first 30 minutes, I got to say, it's fucking cool. The pixel art is phenomenal. The animation in this game is so damn good. This is one of those, rare, you know, like we always joke, right? 98% of the games that release every single week are just someone trying to make a cool pixel art game because someone's nostalgic for the 80s, yada, yada, yada. We get it. It's a fucking Metroidvania. We get it. It's, it's, it's cool. It's got backtracking. It's got pixel art. We get it. But TMNT Shredder's Revenge, obviously not a Metroidvania, it's a beat em up side scroller this game is one of those rare games where it's like no no no. this isn't just another pixel art game for the sake of being a pixel art game this game knows what it's doing it oozes style and charm it perfectly blends an old art style and gameplay format that you know guys in their 30s with back hair um, are all very nostalgic for while also making it incredibly fun and modern and approachable for new for younger gamers or just gamers who don't have really a lot of experience with those first couple generations of home consoles and don't get me wrong i played plenty of side scroller beat em up in my life shout out to lethal weapon on the snes um but this is a tmnt was not one that is on that list and i just gotta say this I, i find this game to be incredibly approachable I like to knock it down the easy mode. Um, I'm looking forward to playing it with my girlfriend, hopefully this weekend. And I think this will be a really fun, casual. It can be grueling and hard if you want it to be, but knock it down to the easy mode and and just have it be a really fun, casual weekend jam. You know, you can do it with a friend or a partner or a child, you know, whatever. Um, If you're lucky to have a child, you can take in the Chuck E. Cheese. You won't need to buy the frozen pizza, of course. But, you know, whatever you need to do. And I think this game is shaping up to be, after just playing two levels, is shaping up to be a very, very fun little treat of a game. I, I think the animation in particular is so fun. Um, just like on the first level, every time you walk into a new corner of the room and you see a group of enemies and they're always doing like their own thing before they acknowledge that your character has entered the room, it's so funny. Like you walk in to an office building and all the enemies will be mashing away at their keyboards, typing something on the computer, and then one of the enemies will be sitting at a desk that doesn't have a computer, but he's motioning with his hands like he's typing anyway. And then he like freaks out and jumps when he sees that you've entered the room. It's just really, really funny shit. Really charming, really cute animation. Gameplay is really fluid. Lots of easy to pick up on combat moves and and combos while also being dynamic enough that I assume fans of the genre will be able to get like really technical and nerdy and lame with it. So I I don't know. I'm really looking forward to getting into the more of this game, but I just don't have too much to add at the moment. And then lastly, Shinonuma, baby. Guys, I, I, I have defended Call of Duty Vanguard once before and I will defend it again. Yes, I don't like Sledgehammer generally when it comes to them in Call of Duty. Yes, Call of Duty Vanguard has an ass campaign. Yes, Call of Duty Vanguard has a really befuddling zombies mode that is not true zombies, and it is not great, and Treyarch clearly had to stitch it together because they did not have proper time and talent to develop a full-scale, full-fledged zombies experience for this game. I get it. 
However, Vanguard plays very well. Its multiplayer is really good and the game feels very good. And now that we finally have a proper horde wave-based zombie map in Vanguard with the controls and the feel and everything of Vanguard, plus the conventions and the modern uh, accompaniments, accoutrements uh, that Black Ops Cold War introduced to the zombies formula, having all of that applied to a classic map like Shinonuma and playing in a game that feels as good as Vanguard feels... This is phenomenal. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say right here, even though I've only spent 30 minutes with this, I, I'm going to make the bold statement. Obviously, nothing will ever be, for nostalgia's sake, nothing will ever be as good as playing Shinonuma in the year 2009 when it first came out as DLC on Call of Duty World at War on an Xbox 360. That experience can never be recreated. I get it. It was a special time and place. It is what it is. However, I think playing Shinonuma, this modern interpretation of it on Call of Duty Vanguard is the most fun we've ever had this map be outside of World at War. Because you, if you play Zombies, you know these maps get remade all the time. This is obviously leaps and bounds better um, than like Call of Duty Mobile. But it's certainly, in my opinion, better than it was on Black Ops 3, where you don't have the gobble gum whatever system. You don't have the Black Ops 3 weapons kind of impeding on the fun of the game. You have classic World War II weapons. You have the mobility and the fluidity of playing a modern Call of Duty game and all of these zombie trappings and workings of like a Black Ops Cold War, which make it feel really fun. On top of that, they expanded the map. So there's new areas of the map that were never in any of the previous versions of this map. And they added an Easter egg and a boss fight, all this shit. So guys, I am honestly itching to get back to this and just play some more zombies. Having a good zombies map to play through is, is one of my all-time most enjoyable uh, pastimes there is. I just love to veg out on the couch listen to a great podcast, and just play Zombies on a, on a full Saturday afternoon. I think that is truly one of the great ways to spend some free time, and I can already feel that this is going to be one of the best Zombies experiences we've had um, in, in quite a while, so I'm really looking forward to digging into this more as well. But guys, that is it for all I've been playing this week. Um, I will get back to all three of these, I assume, more over the weekend, and then hopefully, now that Far Cry 6 is out of the way, praise God, uh, I want to get into, I, don't, I need to get back to Destiny 2 or maybe jump into Yakuza 3. I don't know, guys. We'll see. But that's it for now. Let's get into the proper news segment now that we are 42 minutes into the show. What do you guys say? All right. Would you believe it if I told you we literally only have two stories this week for the news? Okay, bear with me. Our first one is actually kind of a long one, and it's one that I think a lot of you nerds will be interested in because you all like Elden Ring so much, but talking about From Software. So let's jump into the big news Elden Ring developer From Software is working on multiple new projects, it's been said. That's according to Japanese Studios' latest recruitment, which has it searching for staff to cover its other, to cover, in its words, a wide range of occupations for multiple new projects, according to reports from Video Games Chronicle. Elden Ring director From President Hidetaki Miyazaki elaborated on comments in a Japanese 4Gamer interview on Friday, revealing that the in-development games were being held by different directors. He said, quote, as I have said in several interviews, the fact that we have been able to create a title of the scale of Elden Ring is now largely due to the expansion of staff within the company, but I think that from now on we'll be entrusting more projects to them. In fact, we are working on several titles directed by people other than myself, he added. I think we will be able to show you a different color of direction from software, so please look forward to it. In his role as company president, Miyazaki is required to keep tabs on other in-development projects. However, the creator told 4Gamers that he likely keep the interventions to a minimum. Quote, I'm essentially a director, so when I come to contact with the title under development, 
I think about it a lot, what to say something about it. But in that case, I'm not the director. I'm not the subject of the vision, and I can't take responsibility until the very end, so I feel an unnecessary intervention uh, would have a lot of negative effects on the game and the projects. In the same interview, Miyazaki claimed that he already started working on his next game project, which he will be directing, saying on this, As director, I already am working on the next title. In the medium to long term, I'd like to work on more abstract fantasy in past than in past titles, he continued. In the process of creating action RPG fantasy titles, including Elden Ring, I've continued to accumulate ideas and images of fantasy that don't fit into the format, but I'd like to bring them all together somewhere and get that out. End quote. In previous 2018 interview, Miyazaki stated that since 2016, the studio had been working on three and a half games. The half game being a PSVR title, Deracine, Deracine, I always forget how they say that. One unannounced game in development from From Software appears to be Armored Core 6, which was reportedly mentioned in a consumer survey earlier this year. Reset-era user Red Licorice claimed in January that he that they had received a survey from Elden Ring and Dark Souls Studio, which seemingly revealed the first details on the unannounced mech combat game, Armored Core 6. The alleged unnamed, install, unnamed installment, which would be the first full Armored Core title, since 2012, was said to feature a sci-fi world created by Hideaki Miyazaki, three-dimensional dynamic action, and high degree of freedom customization. Armored Core would be such an interesting thing for From Software to go back to, and it seems like all signs point to the idea that they are. Now, you assume that's one of the ones that a different team is working on, not Miyazaki, but it's it's interesting. I, I, I know that's a From game, but it's just, you know, Armored Core was a thing that had an audience that was popular. But it's no Dark Souls or Elden Ring or, you know, anything like that. And so to think of, like, this team after all these years and after all this change and all this development on these Souls-like games, if you want to call it, that they've created, it'd just be so so curious to see them go back to Armored Core. But I would welcome it, especially because Armored Core is their franchise that probably is more my speed than uh, something like Dark Souls anyway. So that, that seems to be all but confirmed. But... That leaves about two titles based on what they were teasing that are in active development. So it's no surprise that they're going to work on other games. I think the surprising news here is what does that mean Miyazaki's working on? Because I know for a lot of people, Hidetaki Miyazaki has, he's a name for From Software um, that kind of brings about an almost Hideo Kojima-like kind of aura to gamers where they're like oh my god he's working on a game you know it's like if his name is assigned to it it means it's going to be a special game and so the notion of him letting other people at from software direct and spearhead games without him having really much involvement is interesting because obviously allows them to make more projects and allow more creative freedom within the studio and i think that's ultimately a good thing but it also creates an opportunity for From to really diversify its identity and its in what it means for a game to be a From software game, which is I think is cool. And returning to Armored Core as a series would also play into that more. But here's the thing: is we get these extended quotes from Miyazaki talking about how he has all these ideas for more abstract, which I find hilarious. He's talking about abstract imagery and fantasy imagery that doesn't fit into Dark Souls, and I'm just saying to myself, based on that description, abstract fantasy art absolutely fits into Dark Souls. That's what Dark Souls is through and through, but obviously he's, he means it in a different way. Um, that's, you know, obviously we can't deduct based on just what he's saying, what that looks like. However, him going on this extended quote talking about how he's like, you know, I don't want to get too involved in other teams' projects. I feel like that would hinder more than help. And also, I, I have all these ideas for another fantasy abstract game that I want to make that just doesn't really fit with Dark Souls. It's kind of a curious thought because we're looking at at least two games that are in some form of development right now 
And you got to assume immediately one of those games is a sequel to Elden Ring. There's no way you have a game like Elden Ring that has sold as well, that has been received as well, that has been lightning in a bottle the way Elden Ring has been, and you don't make a sequel. You really don't have a choice. Elden Ring has done so obscenely well that it's one of those things where you do not have the choice. You make a sequel, you know? It's like... Yeah, so it's 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 just it's just a matter of when, not really, if they'll make a sequel to Elden Ring, and you don't really know that that is necessarily one of the other two games that's in active development because obviously Elden Ring Two would, if they're working on it already, would be in such an early early conceptual pre dev stage that you got almost nothing really to show for it at this point. However, the thing is, I I think for a lot of consumers, the idea of an Elden Ring Two that it doesn't feature Miyazaki as the creative visionaire and director of the game because he's busy off doing this other fantasy abstract game is a curious notion because he wants to do something else. There's no chance in hell that Elden Ring is not getting an immediate sequel. Where does that put him in the creative role of Elden Ring's follow-up? And I think that's kind of the big thing to take away from this story, or at least for, for myself. Um, however... I think it'd be really cool if they um, if they let someone else on the team kind of take Elden Ring and run with it because I gotta be quite honest as someone who has not played Elden Ring who has only observed the immense attention that the game has received it, it, it seems to me what I've gathered and what I've seen from others is that what makes Elden Ring so special is kind of something that no one really saw coming and I'm, I'm not even convinced that From Software even saw coming. I'm sure From thought they had a game that From fans, you know, fans of their games would enjoy. I'm sure Bandai Namco thought they would have a moderately successful game on their hands. I'm sure fans thought it was going to be a pretty decent game. I thought critics, I'm sure critics probably thought it was going to be another great title from From Software. But I don't think anyone saw this game being as big, as well received, nearly as much of a meteoric sales success and as uh, as much of a like cultural cornerstone moment in gaming as it has become. And so what that almost tells me is I don't even think that the people at From Software really knew what about the game was so special that it resonated with such a massive swath of people. And so it might be beneficial in that case to kind of let, you know, a different team take on Elden Ring and just do something else with it rather than try to reassess the game and say... What was it about this game that made it so successful? You know, let 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 the other guy do his creative project and let a new team take, you know, obviously a team comprised of people who worked on Elden Ring along with a new director and some other new talent and say, what would we, now that we know the way people respond to this game and we know kind of what it really is, what would we do next with it? I feel like that allows a lot of creative freedom, but it's also a little bit risky. So the question becomes, do you force Miyazaki to do Elden Ring 2 and play it safe? Or do you let him do his new creative project and you take some risk on Elden Ring 2? Either way, that's got to be one of these next projects. It can't not be. You know, we know Dark Souls is done. I think there's a very good chance that Sony is trying to commission a Bloodborne 2 to happen as a PlayStation 5 exclusive. So that could be another one. But at the end of the day... Man, what, what what's going to be the case with Elden Ring 2? Because that has got to be between publisher Bandai Namco and From Software as the developer. That's got to be like priority number one right now is 
make another one of those games that just sold 30-something million copies. Whatever. Make it happen. Aside from that, another way to speculate about this is they have multiple works in in, 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 uh, in development right now. Well, this could be a good opportunity, and, and we don't really have any signs or rumors pointing to the fact that this might be happening, but what if Xbox commissioned From Software to make a game? We've seen them work with a Western publisher once before because Sekiro had Activision, obviously a very Western uh, publisher. And maybe that's maybe that's the play here is Xbox is saying, hey, well, we got Hideo Kojima um, working on something for Xbox. That's a huge get. We're trying to get more of a Japanese audience. We're trying to get more Japanese developers to work on a console. We're trying to capture what gamers want, where gamers are at. These games are super big right now. This works on multiple levels for us to get from software. I think this would be a great get if Phil could lock this down. You get the Souls audience entranced with Xbox the way they were on PlayStation 4 Bloodborne. You get more of a Japanese-centric game for a Japanese-centric audience that would help propel your initiative to try and get Xbox out there more in Japan. And you would be kind of seen as like the cool the cool guys if it's like, whoa, they got a From game, you know? This could be a really good get for Xbox. So I, I don't think that's what's happening here, but I think Xbox should be falling all over themselves to try and get them. However, after something like Elden Ring, I think it's pretty clear that everyone and anyone's trying to get them because From historically works with various publishers. You know, they 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 worked with Bandai Namco and Sony and Activision and all these other teams, all these other publishing arms, that it's pretty likely to think that, you know, there are a million publishers banging down From Software's door right now saying, do one with us, do one with us. So they're in high demand for sure right now. And that can make it all the harder for Xbox to get. And we have seen recent examples of times where Xbox has been a little passive and a little like not eager to foot the bill to get who they need to get. Obviously, we're talking. I'm, I'm alluding to the Marvel story from a few weeks ago where they could have had Marvel game license rights and then let that ultimately go to PlayStation. Obviously, that was a long enough time ago that that's a different Xbox. But I don't know. We it's 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 hard to say if Xbox is willing to put forth the money to be like. We need to get these guys, but I think it's absolutely an avenue they should at least be entertaining and, and actively pursuing, um, if possible. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think a, a, an exclusive From Software game for the Xbox ecosystem, a Game Pass title, would be an absolute massive bomb, um, especially if it's this new, like, whatever Miyazaki's talking about, his new abstract fantasy game that doesn't really fit in, this, in the um, Dark Souls kind of universe or the Elden Ring universe. I think that'd be really fucking cool if they could get that game to be an Xbox title. But also, the other thing is they, they got to get to work on a on a on an Elden Ring too. That's really all I have from that one. As as a not really a Dark Souls or an Elden Ring fan, someone who doesn't follow From Software all that closely, but obviously has a lot of exposure to it just by their sheer influence and popularity. I don't have much else to say to that one. Um, but we will continue on with our other story of the week, which is. Uh, perhaps a little bit of a contentious one and VGC reports for this one that 343 Industries our Lord and Saviors have said that they are internally exploring the idea of adding microtransactions to Halo the Master Chief Collection in a new blog post the official Halo Waypoint website community writer Alex Wakeford explains that the game would be ending its season based model in favor of a series model due to the rollout of its next update so we know it's been getting free seasonal updates leading up to Halo Infinite's launch, where it did kind of like free battle passes and free content drops and things like that, because Halo Master Chief Collection has been incredibly awesome and fan service like that, but uh, we're moving away from that now, and despite the name change, Spartan Points 
will still be earned by completing challenges and leveling up to unlock items in the game, but 343 is now looking into charging real money for them too. Quote, for players who are new to the Master Chief Collection or who may not have dedicated uh, much time specifically to unlocking items during the seasonal updates, or simply completionists looking to catch the last outstanding items they need, we are internally exploring a potential new feature for the feature for the future of the form in the form of purchasing Spartan points. That's a really weird sense. Potential new feature for the future in the form of purchasable Spartan points. Wakeford says, "It is per, it is prudent to know that we are happy with the current system of how players earn Spartan points by completing challenges, and leveling up through play. This would be optional, adding alternative." for players who might find a vast scope of content to be an intimidating amount of playtime and want to get ahead or skip the grind or maybe you want to grab specific items they want. We have all kinds of, of our favorites. In the interest of transparency with the dedicated and passionate community, we wanted to inform you that the exploration in advance and provide assurance that purchasable Spartan points would be an additive feature. We will not have more information to share. Uh, we will have more information to share about this in the future. Although this statement, of course, makes it clear that buying Spartan points will also be optional. Such microtransactions traditionally raise eyebrows among gamers who believe that the they are balance, the balance is encouraging players to pay real money to get certain games or for that fear of missing out effect. Of course, anyway, let's uh let's focus on this real quick. This is interesting because it's kind of a backwards way to do it. I generally am a little softer on the idea of microtransactions, I feel like, than at least the mainstream argument and conversation is surrounding microtransactions. I generally feel like whatever, they're fine. If you don't like them, don't buy them, move on with your life. But I do understand the criticism that's like, well, you don't like micro, you don't want microtransactions because if they're there from the get, it influences the way the developer approaches an unlock system. So the amount of XP it takes to level up or grind this and unlock that can be can be influenced by the amount it costs to buy something and how much they want you to spend all these things. But in the example of this, where they're talking about, well, what if you didn't play too much Master Chief Collection, but now you want to go back and you want to unlock all the things and you don't want to necessarily spend all this time trying to unlock multiple seasons of content that you missed out a few years ago on. Maybe now you can just buy a currency and skip through that. I feel like retroactively adding the currency is maybe a little less predatory just for the simple fact that the system's already been developed. The system's already been designed. The content's already been put into the game. It's been there for years. So you're not designing a in-game a way to use real currency to cheese your way through an unlock system if um sorry you're not the unlock system itself is not cheesed if it's a system that's already been in place and was designed around free to play and now is just being added with a uh or is just now having a pay to access kind of model introduced retroactively so i feel differently about it in this one like if they had always set up the system to be this way you might be, raise an eyebrow and be a little curious about what that means for the grind but knowing that they're not changing the grind they're just adding a way for you to skip it if op, if you want to is a little less concerning you know it's a little more like okay i can get on board with that just because it's like it, they're not changing how long it takes to unlock things they're just adding a way to skip it i don't really care in this case i feel like master chief collection is this thing that's just going to persist now they're not really going to add much to it and it's not like they're adding new maps new content new modes new seasonal events it's just this thing that's going to live and breathe and continue on. So I think to allow people to pay to kind of skip through all the cosmetic things the game has to offer, considering none of it affects gameplay, I don't have an issue with this. I feel like this is just another option for people who want that option. I, I take no umbrage with this whatsoever. I think it's always cheap looking when you have the option to spend money on stuff like this in a game's uh, menus and in the game store, but it is what it is. 
more options for players to get what they want how they want it. I, I don't really mind. Of course, you could argue the more pro-consumer way to do this would be, hey, the game's many years old now. These seasons are over. We're focused on infinite. We're just making all that shit free. Or we're vastly decreasing the amount of time it takes to grind through these so that more people can access them more quickly. That's an alternate way to approach this. It's maybe a little more fan service, a little more in service of your community. But at the same time, it's like, dude, this game has been out long enough to where it's like, okay, who, who cares? It's just cosmetic shit that's already been there anyway. If you're really that up in arms with it, why, why, why didn't you just unlock this shit sooner, you know? I don't know. I don't have much more to say on that other than uh, cool. I, I assume that will absolutely happen. That's not – they say it's something they're considering. I, I assume it's something that's happening. It's basically as long as you guys don't freak out like we're putting NFTs or something in the game, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and add this feature in. That's, that's how I read that. All right. And then our wrap-up, and, and this isn't really a news story. It's just – something of note um with july being just a day away at the time this podcast goes live we have our new xbox uh, games with gold titles revealed for july 2022 the following games will be available for the month of july for you to download for free if you have an xbox live gold subscription or game pass ultimate subscription the first one is beasts of marville island which will be available for the entire month of july next we got Relicta, which will be available from July 16th to August 15th. After that is Thrillville Off the Rails, which will be available from July 1st to 15th. Um, That's the only game here I even recognize. And then finally, Torchlight will be available July 16th through the 31st. Dude, fucking, again, such a weak, weak lineup. Games of Gold is such a weak value. They really can just get rid of it all together, and it'd probably be a better look than continuing to put out these months of games that, like, no one gives a shit about. Meanwhile, you look at PlayStation's uh, PlayStation Plus lineup. They got, like, freaking Crash Bandicoot 4 and stuff like that this month. So night and day difference in what you're getting. But there's your games with gold, guys. All right, and that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Guys, let's real quick run through the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have a handful. So real quick, VentureBeat reports that Blizzard Entertainment is, is planning to acquire Spellbreak maker Proletariat to beef up the staff on the massively multiplayer online role-playing game World of Warcraft. Under the deal, which is now proposed, Boston-based Proletariat will become part of Blizzard, and its team of 100 people will begin working on World of Warcraft, including the Dragonflight expansion coming later this year. Spellbreak, the Battle Royale game where wizards and witches cast spells on each other, will be sunset, as was announced earlier this week, unfortunately. Next up, VGC reports a Plague Tale Requiem has received a release date. Uh, The game is now set to launch on Xbox Series and PC on October 18th, and will... uh, Isn't that a Game Pass game? I don't remember. I forget Next up, Windows Central relays that Star Ocean, the Divine Force upcoming storied JRPG uh, entry in the in the long running franchise, uh, has been confirmed for an October 27th release date. Will come to series consoles, Xbox One, and PC. After that, VGC relayed that a release date for the pre order incentives and the pre order incentives for Ubisoft's pirate game Skull and Bones seem to have leaked. The bonuses are listed in the article, which we won't go over because I don't really care. And it includes additional missions and soundtracks and an art book. However, the game is seemingly set, at least according to leak, for a November 8th, 2022 release date. And next up, Windows Central reports that Atlas have shared that Persona 5 Royale will include all previous DLC packs when it launches on Xbox and PC later this year. The game is set to launch on those platforms on October 21st, so lots of October releases. I can't wait. And the other two Persona games are coming later with Persona 3 and 4. Um, They just haven't 
announced yet, but it'll all come to Game Pass. Next up, GamesIndustry.biz relays that original Overwatch will be unplayable once Overwatch 2 releases. Game Director has said when Overwatch 2 launches, they will be completely shutting down in, uh, in the current service so everything will just be overwatch 2 which is fine because overwatch 2 as we now know is a free-to-play game which basically includes all of overwatch 1 plus more and lastly vgc reports that disney dreamlight valley will be a will be playable on september 6 via early access on pc and consoles the game was announced a few months ago as a free-to-play adventure game it's set in disney universes and when it goes in full release in 2023 players will need to purchase the game's founder pack which is currently unpriced. But for now, Game Pass subscribers will be able to play the game during its early access at no additional charge. Game developer Gameloft is challenging its players to restore the once idyllic village ruined by a mysterious event called the Forgetting. According to the FAQ on the Epic Game Store, the game is an experience that expands on the traditional elements of a life sim game with a robust narrative-driven adventure composed of solo campaign and unique friendship systems within the village sandbox where each Disney Pixar-inspired character has their own dedicated story arc i will uh no, no doubt this game is probably going to be dog shit and i will no doubt probably spend a shit ton of hours playing it but that is it for all of our stories of mild amusement that's it for all of our news this week you guys it's time to slow down and sunset this week's episode of xbox on with some news with some not news with some comments these are shout outs comments questions concerns from youtube.com slash xbox on podcast you know how it works you go to the xbox on youtube page Click on the latest episode of the podcast and you leave a comment. No matter what you say, we'll get it right on the air because we're getting way fewer comments these days. We're getting fewer listens. Guys, I'm desperate for your attention and I'm desperate for you to leave a five-star iTunes review and to tell your friends about the show and to like and share and subscribe. Please, for the love of Christ Almighty, you can say anything you want to say on the podcast. You can say something nice like, Jesse, the fact that you uh, are, are willing to go so above and beyond to eat a Chuck E. Cheese pizza lets me know that you are still a child inside, which I greatly admire and respect. Never lose sight of who you are. You are special you are unique and you are a fun individual you're awesome you rock we can say something totally mean like jesse the fact that you are so obsessed with chuck e cheese pizza that you want to go out of your way to get the frozen food chuck e cheese shit from kroger and you lament the fact that you don't have access to a child to take to the store so you can eat here regularly and not look weird and the fact that you're in the chuck e cheese facebook group and the fact that you're in the chuck e cheese subreddit this is very concerning this is very uh, this is very telling of the person you are i should report you to the authorities you are disgusting you are a disgrace to humanity get the fuck out of here and i'll say Thank you either way. I just need comments to read on the air, so I appreciate the, the, the writing of the in. However, this week we didn't get any comments like that, but we did get a bunch of comments related to last week's news, which is kind of relevant. So a couple of you wrote in about the Tony Hawk story from last week about how Vicarious Visions is folded in. We're not getting Tony Hawk remasters. Activision sucks, yada, yada, yada. Mr. Mal wrote in and said, it would be amazing if we got a remaster of Tony Hawk's Underground 1 and 2 since those games have a story mode. Mr. Mal, I agree wholeheartedly actually my favorite tony hawk games are actually underground one and two and most importantly tony hawk's american wasteland that is my all-time favorite tony hawk game i was very very much hoping that they would continue to remake these over and over and over again until we got to those entries but unfortunately we couldn't even make it past one and two despite strong sales because nothing is good enough for activision fuck you we're all getting overwatch anime titty porn instead of tony hawk's underground one and two so now we know that the world's a darker place and we can die happy sam torres also wrote in and says makes me proud to hear you say your piece on vicarious visions being folded to ingloriously into blizzard the activision of old knew the value of having such a versatile team to properly make those fun movie tying games and licensed stuff that was that popped in our consoles for a few hours and stuck with us for years that's a good way to put, i love that 
Popped it in for a few hours, stuck with you for years. That's a really great way to put it, Sam. Blizzard, the slack, broken fools. <laughs> they are hopefully learning. They are hopefully learned how to do their jobs as well as Vicarious did. I will play Skylanders Swap Force tonight in their honor. Sam Torres, you have impeccable taste in games, and I love you for that. And yes, uh, I, I really like that line. That was perfectly, perfectly put. Unfortunately, we live in a world now where every developer has to work on one of two franchises and no games are allowed to be fun and lighthearted. Everything just has to be super serious. No, like I said last week, no offense to Diablo four, but like, even if you are one of those people who's like, you know, I never really got into like those, those cheap kitty license games. I was always more of like a, like a legit triple a big proper video game. You know, like I can respect that that's the kind of gamer you are, but like, even if you are that kind of gamer, can you honestly with a straight face, tell me that we are better off with the games industry where it takes two or three full developers to give us yet another Diablo. And then that is better than having a reality where, you know, maybe we just get, we continue to get Diablo, but we just don't get it as at the, the same clip that we get it at now. Or, you know, it's just maybe not a fucking open world game and it can just be a regular Diablo game. And that allows us to have other teams freed up to still do creative and fun shit, like make Crash Bandicoot games and Tony Hawk games. So, Everyone has a little bit of everything, and not every fucking game has to be where you have to buy cosmetics and customize your awesome, unique character that's totally a representation of your personality, and we don't always have to open-world everything. We don't always have to fucking end-game post-world every. I don't know. Just think about that. Like, is it honestly a better world where that's the only option? All right, a couple of you guys also wrote in about Battlefield, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I actually didn't skin these comments. Uh, Josiah Cronky, my brother, wrote in and says, I really think Battlefield was a novelty game. A big battle where you can run on foot in a huge map or get in a tank or a helicopter or whatever. But today, that's every game. Battlefield can't compete with everything else. 2042 is a perfect example of Battlefield. Um, if you play it, you'll realize it's, a bu it's not buggy or broken at all. It's exactly like what you expect, which is not very fun. Kronky, I gotta agree and disagree with you. I, I um I gotta agree with you because of what you said about it not being buggy and broken. It's exactly what, what you expect. Because again, I played about six hours of this game, whatever it was. I don't know. They gave you like a free or a 10 or five hour free trial on Game Pass of this game. I played almost all that free trial and I quite enjoyed my time with the game, especially the portal mode I thought was very good. But the reason I always refer to this game as it's broken and buggy is because absolutely everyone, every commentator, every media outlet, every gamer, every YouTube comment, every Twitter thread about Battlefield 2042 is saying this game is broken this game makes no sense it's stupid it's broken they fucked it up dice you suck i don't know if we played the same game i played on an xbox i definitely came across some graphical bugs and glitches i definitely came across some ping issues some technical issues here and there but it was very normal like day one week one type bugs i was running into i did not run into this game is unplayable broken trash when i played it however Everyone in the world keeps saying that this game is broken and unplayable. So I'm assuming, since I mostly just played Portal Mode, that I totally missed what was broken about this game. Or I'm just too stupid to notice it. But that is why I always refer to the game as a broken, buggy mess. Because I, I'm clearly missing something here. But no, when I played this game for six or seven hours, I did not experience that that broken game at all. In, in, in your defense and in the game's defense. But... I'm told that it's what is wrong with the game. I guess. I don't know. But I, I disagree with this notion that Battlefield is a novelty game. While certainly it feels that way for me because I, every every couple of years I get excited by the idea of a Battlefield game that I pick one up and I play it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a massive game. You run around. You get shot from fucking nowhere. It's infuriating. Then you spawn. It takes 55 minutes to spawn. Then you run around. You try to find something to do. And then you get sh sniped again from 45 miles away. 
that that's no fun. I find Battlefield to be incredibly frustrating and annoying like that, but I recognize for the more methodical gamer, for the more tactical gamer, for the more squad-based, cooperative, multiplayer gamer, Battlefield is apparently a very, very fun time. I've had a hit or miss experience. I feel like for every 10 times I play Battlefield, I have one incredibly fun experience and nine incredibly frustrating experiences. But that's just me. I, I, I kind of agree with your point. I kind of disagree. And in fact, Dead Captain James might even disagree because he, he he wrote a little reply to you, Kronky. He says, as a dead... As a dead... As a dead Captain James. No, he says, as a diehard Battlefield fan for like 20 years. I have to disagree. 2042 is the most different Battlefield game in existence. They just need to go back to basics and give us standard classes with lots of guns, attachments, and maps. That's all they had to do to, to be a huge to make it huge again. No other franchise still gives us the true Battlefield experience. I'm going to take Dead Captain James' word for it because I know from comments in the past, Dead Captain James is a huge Battlefield fan. He's always come to, not necessarily defense, but to the, um, I guess, to fairly represent Battlefield, it seems like, in all of his all the times he's chimed in about, about the game. So I'm going to give it to him there, give him the benefit of the doubt, because I assume that between the two of you, you've both spent a lot more time with this game than I have. But, um... I don't know, man. I I think there's clearly a market for Battlefield. These games sell very well. People really like them. There's obviously a market for it. It's not... I, I wouldn't say it's a gimmick. It's obviously a game that does well and that has a dedicated player base and that has a fandom surrounding it. I just don't think it's as accessible in a mainstream as a game like Halo or Call of Duty in terms of its true ability for anyone to pick it up and truly get the most out of it, you know? I know that whether you're the most MLG Halo player of all time or a guy who just hasn't played Halo since Halo 2, but you thought Infinite looked good, so you, you gave it a go. I know regardless of where you fall in that spectrum, you're going to pick up Halo Infinite and you're pretty much going to get exactly what it is, what you're supposed to do, how it works, and you can make the most of that experience. But a game like Battlefield is a game, yes, it's mainstream in the sense that it sells very well, everyone's familiar with the franchise, it's very popular, but it is kind of niche in the sense that I think, dude, if I have to guess, I am in the vast majority of how Battlefield players feel, if I'm being honest. I think there's an overwhelming majority of people like myself who play a Battlefield game excited at the prospect of what it advertises itself to be, quickly realizes they don't have the patience or the skill or the friend group or anything to play this game the way it's intended to be played. And then it goes, and then they go, you know what? Cool idea. Not my fucking speed. I'm going back to COD. I think there's an overwhelming amount of people who play Battlefield and have that experience. That is, that is my guess with Battlefield. Doesn't mean it's a bad game, it just means it's definitely a little more niche compared to something like a Call of Duty. And then finally, or actually not finally, penultimate comment here. Uh, let's talk about Final Fantasy on Xbox. Mr. Way of the Lao, the sexiest man on earth, writes in and says, Guys, what a week, huh? I'm sure everyone is like, what the hell are you talking about? Hope everyone is doing well and that you and your families are staying good and healthy during these trying economic times. Way of the Lao, why do you always got to open up with something so thoughtful and sweet and considerate like that? You're so, such a little... i pinch your little cheeks if you want an NPC. I personally want to try... Or sorry, I personally want every Final Fantasy game to come to Xbox because I love playing games on, on the consoles. It's become my... Boo console. I will not... It's become my boo console. I will not be playing Diablo 4 on it, unfortunately, because the recent leaks of the game have confirmed that it will be a giant heap of pile of garbage and that even Emilio Estevez, Estevez and Charlie Sheen wouldn't touch it. What? What is happening? I don't know. I know one of those is an actor. Is the other one an actor? I don't know. I feel like I put a lot of negativity around Diablo 4. With Lau, 
I, 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 I hope I hope you'll give Diablo 4 a fair chance just because I know you were writing in recently about how excited you were for it. I uh, the, Here's the thing, man. Diablo 4, when all is said and done, I think is going to be fine. It's going to be more Diablo. I think if you like Diablo, you're going to enjoy it. But you're going to play it and you're going to go, wow, did this really need to be open world? Wow, did this really need to take seven or eight years to make? Wow, did we really need to lose vicarious visions over this? I think those are the questions you're going to have to ask yourself. Do we really need to lose Rod Ferguson working on Gears of War for this? And then you will touch yourself and cry alone at night because that is how life works. And then our final comment. I don't even understand what I'm looking at here. It's so massively large in size. But Temple Knight wrote in. And Temple Knight says, everyone is dumb except Jesse. Wait, no, that's not what he says. He says... Guy, oh, strap in for this one because it is incredibly dated and uh, he wrote it just four days ago, so we're going to read it anyway. Here is my belated take on the Xbox showcase. I think Xbox took a lesson from Sony Nintendo and set themselves up for future success. I agree. A warning that the show would focus... A warning that the show would focus on games in the next 12 months in the form of a tweet would have been nice, but I think that the next few years progress, we will see Xbox focusing on what they'll actually be able to deliver. And we'll start to see big surprises on the further along um, that are further along than CG titles shot looking at UES six elder scroll six. I think having new games announced alongside gameplay footage and release dates within a year will be awesome and eventually add to the wow factor. I think Starfield looks great, and I'm also thinking that every game Bethesda Studios does is awesome, so I'm probably a little bit biased. High on Life looks super fun, and I think Redfall mostly, most closely resembles Borderlands in playstyle, which I'm okay with and even look forward to. I wish Atomic Heart was given a little bit more screen time, maybe because it's a Russian studio, there's some issue there. I agree completely. Atomic Heart looks so fucking good. It's one of the best-looking games this year, but of course they just skimmed over it, and I, I bet you it is for a similar reason. Anyway, another game I'm looking forward to is Witchfire. I know it's from the Summer Game Fest, but it looks like a medieval Bioshock to me. Last but not least, I'm so pumped for score, and I love it's weird. I love how weird it is, and I want to know how freaky it can get. Temple Knight, you're speaking my language here, man. Atomic Heart looks legit. Witchfire, dude, Witchfire looks so, so good. I can't wait for 20 years from now when it's on Xbox and it's not in pre-release. But yeah, you say, in regards to your discussion on Square Enix, however, I think Sony is... Okay, <laughs> I didn't realize we were taking a detour. So I appreciate your input on the Xbox showcase. I don't know if I have anything else to add to that, but I do appreciate having other takes because it's a one-man podcast. It's nice to represent some other perspectives and opinions. Now, your final part, I think, is where we can focus. You say, in regards to your discussion on Square Enix, I think Sony is the issue, not necessarily Square. Square knows how to control the Japanese market, and it's culturally obligated to favor Sony as well. Xbox will have more leverage when Sony and Square once they actually own Activision and can, and can ask Sony to play nice in return for Xbox to play nice. I'm not guaranteeing it'll happen this way, but I can definitely see it as a possibility. Now, I don't know that I agree that Microsoft will ever use Activision as a pawn to try and leverage third-party deals with other non-activation related publishers like that i feel like that's a little far-fetched in all honesty however i do think you are spot on nail on the head when it comes to what the situation is and and, and i want to be clear about it i'm not saying fuck you square put final fantasy on xbox you you suck i am aware that the situation is sony threw a bunch of money at square to keep that game exclusive at this point we know there's been enough silence on the on the matter to know that's what happened because they were saying it was a one-year time exclusive. There was data that people dug up that showed it was supposed to come to Xbox at one point, and then nothing ever happened. And at that point, I'm I, because Square Enix would be fucking stupid after the financial loss from games like Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy and Outriders for them to just be like, well, Final Fantasy VII Remake sold like crack. 
We're just not going to put it on Xbox, however. Obviously, this is because Sony and this is because of money. I, I, I believe full-heartedly Sony threw enough money to say, hush, hush, we're not talking about Xbox anymore. This is a PlayStation game going forward. So, yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. However, I also think you make a more compelling and astute observation when you say Sony Square knows that it controls that Sony controls the Japanese market and it is culturally obligated to favor Sony as well. I think that's exactly right. I think a lot of it we have this chicken and egg situation on Xbox where Xbox gamers don't play Japanese games, so Japanese publishers don't want to put Japanese games on Xbox. Which one has to change first? Do we need more Japanese support to get Xbox gamers to play these games? Or do we need Xbox gamers to start playing the games that are already on the platform to encourage Japanese developers and publishers to put their games on Xbox to begin with? I don't know. And obviously, we've seen a lot of push. We saw Yakuza. We saw Fantasy Star. Sega has been doing a great job supporting Xbox. We saw Bandai Namco do Scarlet, Nex uh, Scarlet Nexus the other last year, um, which had its marketing push with Xbox, surprisingly, instead of PlayStation. That was a great game. I love the hell out of it. You can tell that a lot of people played it. Um, and now we've got the Persona games finally making their way to Xbox. Big marketing deal around it. Um, Hideo Kojima working on an Xbox experience, not a game for all we know. Um, again, a very good telling sign for the future of Xbox and support for, from Japanese publishers and developers. However, we know for a fact that Xbox has always had a struggle being relevant in Japan, getting the Japanese market to give a shit about their console, and also getting the Xbox market to care about Japanese content. And so that is the thing is we need to see, I mean, Xbox and Square have the numbers. They're able to look and see Final Fantasy 15 was on Game Pass recently. They're able to look and see our most flagship recent AAA Final Fantasy game. Here's how it did on Xbox. It was released day and date on Xbox. And then years later, we put it in Game Pass. How did it perform? How many copies did it sell? How many people played it? How how much did this retain and engage this audience? And my guess is that maybe the Xbox audience doesn't take these games enough that it could justify not taking Sony's blood money. Because at the end of the day, Final Fantasy is huge everywhere. It, it Obviously, it's a Japanese game that's big in Japan, but it's big everywhere. Final Fantasy is such a mainstream, widely known, long-running video game series but there's no denying that the PlayStation is where people have associated JRPGs and the Final Fantasy brand. And I would not be surprised at all to find out, not even taking into consideration how many more PlayStations are on the market, that Final Fantasy vastly disproportionately sells way, way better on PlayStation than it does on Xbox. Would not surprise me one bit. But yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, that's the case we're in. However, I will continue to do my part by yelling and bitching and moaning and saying, I would play Final Fantasy VII Remake if you put that shit on Xbox. I didn't play Final Fantasy XV, not because I don't support Japanese role-playing games on Xbox. I didn't play Final Fantasy XV because Final Fantasy XV looks fucking stupid. You play as a bunch of dumbass-looking boy bands traveling around Route 66, riding on the back of chocobos, hanging out with girls with their boobs hanging out their chest, trying to fight demons and dragons. It's fucking dumb as shit. If it were 2008, I would describe it with an R word that would get me canceled, but it's not that time period anymore. Final Fantasy 15 is so goddamn dumb. That's why people didn't play Final Fantasy 15. Let us have a true Final Fantasy uh, game. And that's the thing is they're robbing us of the opportunity, the ability to truly test this because I would fucking play Final Fantasy VII Remake on Xbox. That game looks great. 
I would play Final Fantasy 16 on Xbox. That game also looks like it's a great game. It looks like a true return to form for Final Fantasy. However, Square's not giving me the option to play that on Xbox, so I can't prove to them that I want to play those games. Instead, they just give us garbage like Final Fantasy fucking 15. So, you know, TLDR, I guess. I, I, I blame Square on this one, but I, I've done my part to try and support Japanese games on Xbox. I championed Fantasy Star Online 2 when it came out. I played a lot of it at the time. I'm playing the Yakuza games. I absolutely adore those. I'm pumped for Persona. I, you know, I fucking wanted Blaze Blue back in the day when I was too poor to afford games back in the middle school 360 days. You know, I played Scarlet Nexus last year. What do you fucking want from me? I'm doing my part. I need all you guys to grab yourself up by the bootstraps to get out to the polls and vote Japanese on your Xbox election sheets. Please, for the love of Christ almighty. Guys, that is it for our podcast this week. That is it for our comments. Thank you all for writing in. Thank you so much for listening today and supporting the show as always. Please, five-star reviews on you on, on iTunes. Um, leave a review on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube, please. We're trying to hit 1,000 subscribers. We're at about 930, so we're very close. Help us get there. Um, follow us along on Twitch Monday nights at Lightning Extreme on Twitch. Follow me on Twitter if you want to DM me, talk to me, ask me questions, bully me, tell me why I'm ugly, at Jesse DeRosa on Twitter. Guys, I appreciate your support as always. You guys make this show fun to do, and uh, I I really was looking forward to recording the show today because I feel like it has been a while since I've talked to you, and I hope you're all doing well. So that's it for this week's episode. Take care, be well, be safe, play some good video games. If you you are in the States, enjoy your 4th of July holiday, eat some delicious food, have some fun with loved ones and friends. And until next week, guys, power your dreams.